0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit candowealth.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to Coffee House Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hartman, and this is the Sunday Roundup. Brexit dominated the news once again this morning with government officials making positive noises about an imminent Northern Ireland deal. Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab sat down with Laura Koonsberg to discuss the likelihood of the deal's success, although he was vague about whether Parliament would get a chance to have a proper vote on it.
2: I think we've made progress, and the critical area where we've made progress is and you talked about the, the issues affecting businesses, not just businesses from one community, but all communities in Northern Ireland, in doing that critical trade with the rest of Great Britain is to make sure that we uh, shift away, as the command paper that George Eustace talked about, from approach which is checking every consignment going in from Britain to Northern Ireland, to what's called an intelligence-based approach. So if there's a real problem and it looks like goods are going on from Northern Ireland, they are checked, but but we don't have, if you like, a tick-box approach. Likewise, just to complete the piece, I think if we can move and persuade the EU, as we've been trying for years, to, uh, in terms of protecting their equities, which we recognise, to a market-based surveillance approach, which effectively means they look at what's happening in the Republic with goods that uh, go to Northern Ireland in case there's a risk of them going into the wider single market. Um, And and if we can achieve that, it will be a massive win. But
3: it sounds like both sides are pretty resolved now, that there is a Deal there to be done that has pretty much been done, but it's harder then potentially for you to get it through your party. If there is a deal, can you confirm to your colleagues and also to our viewers that MPs will have a say? There will be a proper vote on a deal.
2: Yes, MPs will ex- get the, uh, will have the opportunity to express themselves on the deal.
3: So there will be a vote, to be completely clear. That won't be just a debate or a nod through. There will be an actual vote. Well,
2: I don't think ever, anything ever gets nodded through Parliament. <laughs> and look, and, and the, the reality is the, the details will be uh, brought forward in the usual way. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. here. I understand what you say, and uh, there is a degree of quiet... Confidence about the progress being made, but we're not there yet. It will be a vote. The Parliament will have its uh, ability to express itself.
1: And Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy sounded a similarly optimistic note, telling Sophie Ridge he expected the deal to be an improvement.
4: I think that Labour is determined to act in the national interests of our country and of Northern Ireland. It's very likely that if a deal does emerge, it will be an improvement on the Northern Ireland Protocol deal that was struck by Boris Johnson just a few years ago and deal with the issues of goods and services, uh, particularly trafficking from the United Kingdom into Northern Ireland and then into uh, the Republic of Ireland. And for that reason, we have indicated that we expect to support this deal when it emerges, I suspect, in the next uh, few days.
1: But chair of the European Research Group, Marc Francois, was less convinced. He told Ridge that any difference in treatment between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, especially possible oversight from the European Court of Justice, would cause the DUP to not support the deal. And the government needs their support. Are you effectively saying that if they don't support the deal, you're not going to support it either?
5: Well, the government is saying that. The Foreign Secretary said on Friday that um, the government would not sign off on any protocol deal without the DUP's backing. So that's James cleverly saying that. And I think that's just a practical reality. Because if the DUP don't consent to the deal, then it's simply not going to fly. And, and that's been absolutely obvious right from the word go. Now, the DUP are friends and allies of ourselves and the European Research Group. We admire them. Why? When a lot of these people went into politics, you know, some decades ago, they did that knowing that their lives might be under threat from the provisional IRA, one of the most ruthless terrorist organisations in the world. I mean, so if none of your viewers, I'm sure, had to look under their car uh, before they went to work in the week. But the people in the DUP had to do that every day for many years. But they went to work anyway. So the point is, these people won't be bullied by anybody, they will make their own decision on whether or not or not, it's right to agree to the deal and to re-enter Stormont.
1: Koonsberg also spoke to Dominic Raab about the allegations of bullying against him and in the civil service in general. Raab has denied the allegations, saying that in general relations between ministers and civil servants were good. He also suggested that a degree of straight talking was necessary in the area of work. But union boss, Dave Penman, was unconvinced, saying civil servants are not reporting such a positive work culture.
4: The picture he paints is that everything's fine in the civil service and the relationship between ministers and civil servants is okay. That's not the the picture that civil servants speak of. That's not their experience. Come back to the point, one in six are saying that they've experienced bullying or harassment or witnessed that in the last 12 months alone across 20 government departments. And they don't have the confidence of challenging uh, those behaviours.
3: Well, let's share some of the comments that your survey gathered with our viewers. Um, One civil servant has reported swearing and a minister being aggressively critical with no right of reply. Another said that one of the ministers is monstrous and that nobody should have had to put up with such a humourless slave driver. Now, those sound like people feeling terrible things and terrible anxiety around work. But... Politics is a very high-pressure business, and from time to time, people working under great pressure, under great stress and responsibility might not behave in an ideal way. Are you really saying to our viewers this morning that it is that bad?
4: Well, that's what civil servants are telling us. Civil servants work in that high-pressure environment. The sort of people who get to work with ministers are the people at the top of their career. Many of them are hand-picked for that job. They know what it's like to work at the heart of government. They understand those pressures. And they also know the difference between a minister that's respectful of their professional opinion and uh, their role as a civil servant and a bully.
3: Viewers, though, heard there, Dominic Rab say, actually, he's working for the public. So there's nothing wrong with having high standards. He even said people sh- more people should be plain speaking.
4: Well, plain speaking is different from bullying.
1: Speaking to Koonsberg about the current food shortages hitting the supermarkets, chef Thomasina Myers said that problems could only get worse over time. She said the food system was rife with insecurities and that an overhaul was needed to protect against problems caused by climate change and a lack of biodiversity.
6: Well, I think the main problem is the empty shelves. I mean, it seems to be a massive surprise to us all that they're empty, but no one's really admitting that our current food system is completely broken. Broken? Yeah, there's a propaganda that the food system somehow miraculously provided cheap food for all. But the very system which it depends is rife with, with insecurities, whether it's to do with climate biodiversity or public health. So I mentioned public health mm-hmm. and how much it's costing the taxpayer. But it's also killing people now. The food we eat, diet-related disease, is killing people more than smoking or, or alcohol. And no one is really addressing that. Uh, we have this problem with our food culture. And I think it's really propounded by government. You seem to think that good food is a luxury and we take food in schools we've 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 listened to a lot about people kids from low incomes not being able to afford free school meals the the travesty is that the food food in most schools is absolutely awful and the work we've done at Chefs and Schools, a charity we set up four and a half years ago, has shown it's perfectly possible to feed people great food uh, at, at a really reasonable cost. But when you say our food system is broken, what do you actually mean by that? Well, the way we farm is incredibly oil intensive uh, and, we, and it contributes to 30% of global ha- greenhouse gas emissions. So the way we farm not only contributes to the carbon warming, but also it's degrading our soils. So unless we get behind the farmers and support them in new modern ways of agriculture... Mm-hmm. so regenerative farming there are lots of myths about it it's not rewilding mm-hmm. it's not going back to a kind of era of like bucolic small fields and kind of donkeys <laughs> it's using amazing technology uh like amazing companies have got tiny light robots and it's feeding the masses people like uh wild farmed are now producing regeneratively grown wheat for mots and spencers burger king nando's in a in a planetary friendly way
1: helping to bring back that biodiversity. Now, Koonsberg also spoke to SNP leadership candidate Humza Yousaf about his approach to achieving Scottish independence. She asked him if his approach was different to Nicola Sturgeon's, who wanted to treat the next general election as a de facto referendum. Yousaf said that building public support was key.
0: Well, how is really, really important, because our opponents are desperate to keep us uh, in this quagmire of process. But actually, the how, if you deal with the why, becomes inevitable. So what I mean by that is that if we increase support for independence, make it the sustainable majority, the sustained majority, because let's be honest, Laura, at the moment, there'll be one poll that'll put independence at 51%, another one at 49%, it'll fluctuate up and down. But if we create the sustained, settled will, the majority of people supporting independence then, of course, those political obstacles that are put in the way by our opposition, mm-hmm. they will crumble. So in that terms is of a the gradual how, approach, approach, is that is important.
3: different then to what Nicola Sturgeon wanted, which was to treat the next general election as if it was a de facto referendum. So we're nearly out of time, but are you dropping the idea of the next election being treated as a referendum?
0: Well, I'm not, I'm not wedded to the idea of a general election as a de facto referendum, but let me be clear, every single election that the SNP fights under my leadership will be about the issue of independence. But I think it's right that we energise the membership, uh, that we bring them together, that we have a series of discussions about what the route should be forward and the leadership should act on that collective mandate. But let's not wait for a date, let's not wait for that process. Let's get out there, chap every door, pound every pavement, look people in the whites of their eyes and tell them why they need independence now. And if we get that settled, sustained majority, uh, then independence will absolutely be inevitable.
1: And finally, in an interview with Sophie Ridge, US Senator Bernie Sanders was asked to weigh in on the issue of Scottish independence, amusingly asking Ridge for secrecy and claiming he was no expert, but that he thought the people of Scotland should be allowed the opportunity if they wanted there is one constitutional issue in the UK that I'm really interested, genuinely, to know what your opinion is on it, and that's Scottish independence. Look, it might be something that you haven't given much thought to, but over here it's such a live debate because, of course, we're looking for a new uh, leader of the Scottish National Party. And one of the arguments is that, look, Scotland tends to attack more left politically. They've obviously had a Conservative uh, government in Westminster for over a decade. What's your instinct on it? What's your gut say? Look, I'm
6: not an expert on UK politics, uh, I very much appreciate what the people of Scotland have done, what they're fighting for. And my, you know, initial thought, not being an expert, mm-hmm. they want to go their own way, they should be allowed to.
1: So you think they should at least have the opportunity to... to. That would to seem aim. to me... Don't tell anybody I said that. Right? Don't worry, that's just between us. OK. Don't worry, it won't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Joe Beadle Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes Store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.